Psalms, uh, our, the reading from the Psalms today um, is especially a beautiful one. Psalm 46, beginning with verse 5. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars, listen to verse 9, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. Can we back up to verse 9 there for just one more moment? He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. As we see over and over again through the prophecies of the Old Testament, really on through the New Testament, so much of these promises that we hear um, have to do with eschatological hope, that is to say future-oriented hope, um, a, a kind of peace that has not arrived yet. We are told that God is the one who makes wars to cease. We are told that God is the one who will burn up the shields. We are told that God is the one who will break down all of the weapons. We have the images in the prophet Isaiah of the lion and the lamb laying down together. Beautiful images of the world that's coming, but not the world that we're in yet. Very, very unlike the world that we live in right now with all of its contention, all of its hostility, all the ways that we feel fragile. These things are so beautiful and yet can seem so far. And then finally, from the New Testament reading this morning from Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Finally in verse 20, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Do you hear what an extraordinary promise that is in verse 20, that God through Jesus has promised to reconcile all things, not just heavenly things, but things on heaven and on earth, all things made right. In this world and the world to come, in whatever way it is that ultimately the realities of heaven and earth will be made one, Christ himself will bring all of this together. Christ himself will somehow bring peace and restoration to all of this, bring beauty out of it finally. Such a powerful image. And yet again, when I read those words in Colossians, as it is when I read the a text like in Jeremiah or in Psalms, it is a hope that stirs me. It is a promise that moves me. 
it stirs up anticipation, it stirs up hope, and yet at the same time, it seems like such a long way off. Surely it seemed like a long way off when Paul was writing these words as a Jew and a Roman living in the time of the Caesars when Christianity was under constant oppression. Surely in the very moments when the psalmist would write words like this or a prophecy like we get in Jeremiah, they're also feeling this discontinuity of stirring up this kind of prophetic hope for what's coming, and yet in the same breath, they're living in the, in the, in the not yet. There are ways, especially for us who know this message of the kingdom, we're always living in the tension of the already and the not yet. We are getting a taste of this peace. We are getting a glimpse of this kind of rule and reign of God that ultimately will come to all when the day comes when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day is coming, but it still feels like it's a long way off. And so I'm struggling this morning to try to inhabit that kind of tension of living in, the, living in that kind of hope, living in that kind of expectation, living in this kind of anticipation to which we are called, and yet also dealing with the fact that the world as it is right now doesn't look anything like that, that sense of being a little bit stuck in between. The constant anxiety that I feel like I'm running into everywhere that I go. It's been alarming. It's been disconcerting to me how many times in the last couple weeks I've talked to people personally who feel gripped by so much anxiety in all kinds of directions. I preached last week at a church that I love very much called Ecclesia, extremely diverse church. And after I preached four times there last weekend, I stuck around after each service and just talked to anybody who wants to talk, as I am prone to do. And the stories that I heard, the kind of fear, the kind of anxiety, the kind of tension in the neighborhoods there, stuff I would not have expected. Talked to an Asian-American woman whose best friend had someone throw a water bottle at her in an upscale coffee shop the day before. Like all kinds of just crazy tension, and it just, it's just so palpable, just feeling that in the air. I went downstairs before I was about to speak, and there was, uh, in the hotel, uh, it, I, I tend to give too much information. I didn't bring contact solution, if you want to know. So I came down to get contact solution, and a Latina woman in her mid-50s, we hadn't talked besides, I said, hello, how are you, pleasantries, that was all. She doesn't know I'm a Christian, doesn't know I'm a pastor, any of those things. And she said, sir, do you know my granddaughter asked me yesterday? I said, what's that? I thought this was like small talk. She said, my granddaughter asked me yesterday, are we going to be deported? Somebody going to come and take us away? And I, I mean, I'm gripped by this. And I said, well, oh, ma'am, I'm so sorry. That sounds awful. What did you tell her? This is what she says to me. She said, well, I just told my granddaughter, ain't nobody coming to get us unless Jesus comes and snatches us up out of this mess. And I asked her if she was willing to plant a church, and if so, if I could attend, and <laughs> also to lead me to this Jesus, like, good Lord, love that faith and that fire. But just the amount of anxiety just underneath the surface, where are we? Where are things going? What are we going to do? Feeling like I'm running into that every place I go right now. 
So with all of this in mind, and forgive me, those of you who have heard me preach before know that sermons tend to be a bit of a journey from one place to the other. The thing that caught me in the text so beautifully was um, through all of this, this through line of hope, this hope that stirs up longing and anticipation, and yet in some ways only brings into starker relief how much the world right now does it feel like that to me, how much the world does it look like that to me, that Romans talks about that groaning and sighing of the creation for the world that's coming, for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God I talked about just a few weeks ago. But with all that in view, I really felt like um, I, I came back around to something I felt like the Lord gave me a few weeks ago. And I don't claim to hear from God clearly all the time or crisply. In fact, I'd say I rarely do. It's not like when I was in middle school. I used to pray through every outfit thinking that God had a word for any of that. Um, I, it definitely, it's, it explains a lot of things. Again, like I don't, I, clearly I don't have discernment about such things now, but I used to pray it through because I thought if I wore the wrong turtleneck to seventh grade, if I was disobedient in that area, then that would set off a chain reaction of other disobedience, you know, because so then the person who was going to be captivated by that turtleneck would not ask me the reason for the hope that they sensed from me, and then I wouldn't share my faith, and then, you know, this person who was going to become a missionary to some tribe in Africa, now they're not, now we've got an unreached people group, you know, it's terrible, <laughs> terrible anxiety about all kinds of things. I don't feel like I hear from the Lord that clearly often, but I really feel like the Lord gave me this word a few weeks ago from, uh, from Acts, uh, the story about Paul and Silas um, when they're brought into jail. And it's funny because that story for me has almost been a, um, I don't know, it's a lovely story, but I think of it as like a Sunday school story. You know what I'm saying? Like a great story, but kind of like it's just a Sunday school thing. I mean, in Sunday school, I love that, that Paul and Silas are singing at midnight and the chains fall off, but that's just not, it's just not a text that I reflect on much. So, uh, and if we go to, the, to that passage, actually, Acts chapter 16, this is what I brought a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, I believe it was today, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and, sing, and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So Paul and Silas are in stocks, they are locked up, they are imprisoned. But verse 26, suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. We can stop there for right now. So if you'll permit me to recap for just a moment, what I had brought was the way that in this text we see that there is a violent earthquake that comes that is a shaking for everybody. There is a shaking for all who are involved. Everybody feels the violence. Everybody feels the shaking. Everybody feels the ground beneath them shift. Everyone sees the pictures flying off the walls and books coming off the shelves. The reality of the earthquake is the same for everybody. <laughs> there are these certain kind of earthquakes that come. Uh, the language I use from the prophet Jeremiah, the nations are shaken. And yet there is this way that while the nations are shaking, while it seems like everyone is shaking in some way, there are these particular, there's this particular thing that God is doing among his people so that we as the people of God have a different perspective on the same shaking that everybody's facing. Y'all tracking with me? Like it's so it's the same, the same essential reality, but we're experiencing this in a much different way. So going back there to verse 26 again, if we can, 
Well, suddenly there was an earthquake so violent the foundations of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. So the thing I got really excited about with you guys was the way that in the earthquake that shakes everyone, that the unique thing that happens for Paul and Silas is that that same violent quake is what loosens their chains. It's the thing that sets them free. I feel like so often this is the reality of the people of God. This is what faith does, is that we experience the same world as everybody else. I desperately want to believe that the kingdom of God is a, is, is a place, the kingdom of God is a movement where we get less cancer, where we're less likely to have car accidents, where we're less likely to lose a job than anyone else. At the end of the day, though, folks, I hate to say, like, I really don't think that's true anymore. People of God have car accidents and cancer, too. People of God have tragedy and job loss, too. Like, we deal with all the same things. And yet what faith often does is it gives us a shift in perspective to where the very thing that is shaking for everyone else that is experienced is only violence, we can see through a lens of hope. We can trust that the very same things that's shaking everybody else down to the bone, oh, we're shaking too. We're afraid too. We're quivering too in our own way. And yet to believe that God is working a unique purpose in us as his people. You know, tracking? So that, I mean, I did. I, maybe more so than anything I've in years. I feel like that, for me at the time, just, that just felt like such a word from the Lord. And so I preached about that. I'm half re-preaching about it now. And then I'm revisiting this. And I'm thinking about the fact that for Paul and Silas, the earthquake is their jailbreak. And they're set free, and that's awesome. But then I'm thinking about everybody else who's experiencing the earthquake, but it's not breaking them out of jail. I'm thinking about everybody else who's facing the same kind of anxiety, facing the same kind of hostility, feeling the same kind of fragility in the air right now, but not through the lens of the same kind of hope. Not going around quoting Psalm 46. Not looking for the days that Jeremiah talks about when God will bring peace and righteousness. Not feeling that hope that somehow Christ is going to come and sum it all up and that somehow in him all things will be reconciled in heaven and earth. The day comes when things are made right. So many people don't have that kind of faith, don't have that kind of perspective. And so instead of the earthquake being something that dislodges and makes us free and unencumbered and forces us to trust, that is just experienced as terror. Let's go back to the text now, verse 27. Hang with me. When the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. Stop right there for a couple moments. Paul and Silas have had the chains now unshackled. They are loose. They are free. The earthquake for them has become a jailbreak. But for the jailer, who just a few verses before this was told explicitly, whatever you do, 
guard these guys with your life, he thinks that his life is over. He's given in now to complete and utter despair. He has given in to such radical despair that the text says that he has drawn his sword and he is ready to take his own life. I'm glad y'all are singing, I'll fly away. You enjoy the good old gospel ship, but some of us folks got to work for a living. I was given a job. I'm not doing my job. Before the boss takes my head off as a Roman centurion, I think I'll just end it all. I'm glad for you and your cute gospel hope. Good for y'all with your hymns that you sing that seem to unloose the shackles. I'm glad you have that kind of encouragement. But some of us out here are not feeling that hope and fire. Some of us are not stirred towards eschatological hope. Some of us aren't feeling the good news that somehow the king is going to come and make it all right. From everything I can see, things are just getting worse and worse. And there's a despair that comes when you're facing the earthquake. And yet, as you're facing this, your sense is that nothing is happening except things are unraveling. He's ready to take his own life. And that's when, going back to the text, Paul shouted to him in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. For we are all here. I don't know if anybody, I mean, do I need to preach the rest of the sermon? <laughs> don't be alarmed. We are all here. We don't have some kind of private little apocalyptic hope sitting around a little death cult getting ready to drink Kool-Aid so that we can get up out of the misery. Paul says to the jailer, who in this point is in utter despair and thinks things are over, precisely because he thinks Paul and Silas are about to bolt, don't be afraid. We are all here. Let, let me, let's read the rest of the text. I'm sorry, Casey. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. Isn't that a beautiful story? What God was doing in Paul and Silas wasn't just for Paul and Silas. God had the jailer in mind all along. God cared just as much about the jailer. Hope is coming to him too. But in just these last few minutes that we have, all I really want to do is just preach the hound out of that one phrase. We are still here. We are still here. In the moments when everybody else in the world feels like the lights are going out, 
and they're afraid. They don't know where things are going. The proclamation of the church to the world with a loud voice has to be, we're still here. We're not going anywhere. We're not going to let the light out. We're not going to let the fire die. I'm realizing as I'm saying this that this might not sound like good news to everybody. You know, it, it really is true that the main way, I believe, that God's presence is mediated to the world now is through his people, is through the church, which depending on where you're sitting, good news, bad news, right? Oh, good. Jesus has ascended and he has left us the church. <laughs> awesome. Does it sound like good news to everybody all the time? But theoretically, right? The people of God are the people who say, look, we're not, we're not looking to get on the next train out of here. We're still here. Whatever's shaking your experience, whatever anxiety that you feel right now, we're still here. Whatever work still needs to be done to bring God's kingdom to bear in the world, we're still here. Are there wars that are still being waged? We're the peacemakers. We're still here. Is there poverty? Is there hunger? Is there ache that cannot seem to be satiated? We're still here. We're not letting go of anybody. Nothing is going to dissuade our mission. Nothing's going to throw us off. Do you feel like things are in chaos? Do you feel like there's darkness and violence and you don't know where to go? The people of God are the ones who in the midst of all of that shout out, we're still here. We're here for you. We're here for the sake of the world. God has a unique purpose for us here. Whatever shaking that happens in the nations ultimately is always so that God's message, God's good news can come forth in a way like never before. I, outside of Crystal, I really don't know if any, I don't know if anybody's hearing me today. I don't, maybe I'm talking to myself. <laughs> We're still here. There's so much power in that phrase. We're still here. I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. I like that phrase in about 18 different directions. Because I'm also thinking that every now and then, I'm not really that person who, who's like super into like talking to the devil and reminding him of the promises of God. I just don't think we're supposed to put a lot of energy in that direction, but I'm not above it, and I do it sometimes, <laughs> to be clear. And every once in a while, especially when I think about all the places that I've been, and I think about all the nights when I thought I wasn't going to make it, and I think about the moments where I was ready to take my own life, where I was that at the end of my rope, really thinking I'm over, I am done, I literally have no reason to wake up the next morning. What is it all for? I don't know if you know what that kind of despair is like. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be at the absolute end of the rope where there is no sense of hope in God, there is no sense of looking for a better tomorrow. You know, that's the very definition of depression, right, is that you cease to be able to foresee a future. 
I know what that's like to get to a place where I can see no future. I know what it's like to be in such despair as to be utterly convinced that, I, that, that, that there is no way out. And I'm saying all of that just to say every once in a while, if I can get real charismatic on you, I do have to remind the devil, I'm still here. We're still here. Whatever you thought was going to take me out, I should have been taken out. I should have been done a long time ago. I should have been over, but I'm still here. And I'm still standing on a stage talking about the faithfulness of Jesus. I'm still telling my story. I still have a testimony. I still have a song that's in me. So many times when I thought that had been snuffed out, and yet, here I am. I'm still here. And so every once in a while, there's a kind of trash talk that gets into me like that. Where we're still here isn't just a thing that you say to the jailer to remind him that you're not going to... That's good too. But sometimes I need to hear myself say it. (laughs) David, in the Old Testament, remember that? He anointed himself. Oh yeah, baby, I'm still here. Whatever you thought thought was going to happen to me, whatever you thought was going to take me out, sorry, I'm not going anywhere. You can't take me out. You can't shut me down. This work that God has started in me, he will be faithful to complete. He's not done, so I'm not done. I'm still here. I'm still fighting, even in the moments when I don't feel like I've got any fight left. I'm still singing hymns to God at midnight, even in the moments when I felt like I was past having a song left to sing. I'm still here. I'm so stream of consciousness right now, I have little idea where or how I'm doing any of this. <laughs> but I have a new friend, Angela Davis, I met through Nicole. She does this thing called Soul Cycle. Have you heard of Soul Cycle? It's a fitness thing. It's like this fitness craze. It's, it's, it's a big deal. So she lives in Beverly Hills. She has this studio. People come and do this Soul Cycle thing. And it's like, and all these celebrities come, everybody from Bradley Cooper to David Beckham. I mean, like, she just, she trains everybody with this, it's a whole thing. And Angela tells this story about a, um, a young man who worked across the street, like, right at, there in Beverly Hills, there's this, uh, like, a, like a, just a little smoothie spot. There's this guy named DeMonte, 20 years old works there in the middle of Beverly Hills, though he himself lives in a rough part of Los Angeles. So he comes here to Beverly Hills in the part of town where all the celebrities are and all the wealthy people are, and he sells smoothies. And so she said it was like for people who would be coming out of her studio to do these classes, they would go over, you know, see DeMonte for a smoothie, and he just became this beloved figure for everybody around there. Everybody loves DeMonte. So a couple years ago, he was walking back home in his bad part of town and basically was caught in the crossfire of a gang shooting. And DeMonte, this 20-year-old kid, was shot 22 times, 22 times. No, poss- no logical explanation for why he should still be alive, shot 22 times. But somehow, miraculously, he survived. 
And so everybody that in that area who loved him from the smoothie shop started doing fundraisers and trying to help him, and it became this whole little campaign in the neighborhood. They were all getting behind DeMonte. He ended up having surgery after surgery. Shot 22 times meant that essentially, at this point, almost everything in his body is metal. Just one surgery after another is trying to place to give some kind of quality of life. And Angela describes the day, because before all this had happened, part of what she was done as a person who loves God and loves Jesus and loves the world, people like DeMonte, like he, she would invite people like him and folks that she would encounter to come to some of her classes. So he'd been to some of those before all this happened. She describes the day where she's in the studio and doing one of her soul cycle sessions and they have kind of an ambiance like lights are low and everybody's doing their kind of thing. And she said they saw the, the door come open and the harsh light kind of comes in. Everybody just sort of stops what they're doing. And in comes DeMonte on crutches, just inching along, just step by step, inch by inch, there to do the soul cycling class. And she said, everybody's just looking at him like they saw a ghost, like this is just out of nowhere. And his exact words were simply this, I'm still here. I'm still here. So I got this message via Paul, but I've got that in my crawl right now, is what it looks like to come in beat, battered, and broken, shot up, left for dead, but with that message. I'm still here. I am still here. And forever needs to hear that, however you need to hear that this morning. For us to be able to say that as a people, we're still here. God's not done with us. God's not done with the good work that he started in Tulsa. God's not started the good work he started in our nation. God is not done with the good work that he started in you personally. Whatever he has begun, he is going to complete. And in the face of any and all opposition, sometimes I just think we have to almost remind ourselves, we're still here. God's still here. God is with us. God is for us. In the words of the Apostle Paul, if God is for us, who can be against us? Stand with me if you would. We're still here. <laughs> That's the feeling, if you know what I'm talking about, about getting out of the car from the accident, literal or metaphorical, that should have taken you out. And that moment where you, oh, oh my God, I'm still alive. <laughs> Done that? It's an awful moment. It's an awful thing when the worst thing you could have imagined actually happens. The thing that you thought the relationship that you thought, if that ends, I'm over. I can't live without this person. The job within which you've had all of your identity wrapped up that you thought you were going to do forever. Losing a parent. All these things that happened to us that from afar you would look at those things and say, no way I can do that. No way I could handle that. 
I'm not, I don't have the constitution to deal with something like that. And man, there's something about that moment just on the other side of it that's terrifying, but also is uniquely powerful when you realize, I thought I couldn't survive that, but, not, but I have survived that. I am still here. Do you know the feeling of that kind of invincibility? <laughs> not invincible in the sense of we're still frail people. Any and all kinds of things can happen to these bodies. But I think what happens in that moment after the car wreck is there's something very eternal that rises up inside of us where we realize even the things that for us would most feel like they're the end, it's never really the end. When you're walking with Jesus, it's not really done. The stuff that looks like it's going to be the ending oftentimes turns out just to be another beginning. It's just God starting something new all over again. The stuff that utterly seems like it would crush you, instead of crushing you, produces a hope and a perseverance and a faith and seems to squeeze a love out of you into the world that you wouldn't have even thought was possible before. And there God goes again, just bringing something beautiful over and over again out of things that are broken. Oh, I just, there's something about that moment. It's a little bit awful. The truth is, I've lived through some things where I really thought, I don't think I should survive that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think, like, like I don't think I want to live in a world on the other side of that. Oh, but I'm still here. I'm not done. God is still good. Food still tastes good. You know what I'm saying? And I, I need to stop. Well, Lord, I lift your sons and daughters to you now. I lift up the ones who have been living in the midst of panic and anxiety. I lift up the ones who have lost jobs and are still looking. I know a number of those right now, this community. I lift up the ones who are feeling things shaking out in the world right now, things shaking within themselves, and they don't know where you are in it. They don't know what your purposes are. They don't know where it's all headed. I lift up my friends to you now who know what it is, like the jailer, to be at the end of their rope and to really feel like that they can't get out of bed one more time, don't want to. That feeling that you've misplaced all your reasons to even want to be alive anymore because the despair has so overwhelmed you. God, I just pray for the peace of Christ to flood your sons and daughters right now. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that where there has been no hope, that by the Spirit of God right now, you would stir up hope. In fact, we speak hope, we speak blessing, we speak peace, we speak grace, we speak love over you and into you into any and all kinds of despair, into any and all kinds of heartaches, 
And I want to say specifically for those right now who know the feeling of even when you're in a room full of people who right now just feel so alone, hear these words this morning. You are not alone. God is with you. And not just the Lord, we are with you. We are with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He will not abandon you. He will not let go of you. And neither will we. I loved it when Cody already had us join hands together, but I'll ask if you would just to lay a hand gently on the person around you. And I I want everybody to be covered. I want everybody to have the experience right now of being prayed for. God, whatever despair, whatever anxiety, whatever unrest, whatever it is that swirls now, in the minds and hearts of the people whom we're touching. God, we just pray for your peace to flood them right now. God, we pray for joy to rise up in them right now. Yes, there is a time for weeping, but in the words of David, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And I pray, Lord, even now for a taste of your joy. I pray for a glimpse of hope again to rise from the ashes. I pray for supernatural comfort to be released into them right now. Pray, God, that they would feel enveloped right now by your love, by your grace, and by your peace. As we wrap our arms around them, Jesus, wrap your arms around them. Remind your sons and daughters that you have plans for them, not for harm, but for hope and a future. Hope and a future. In the name of Jesus, hope and a future over every son and daughter here. And it is in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. I'm done. We need to do the creed and move on. I just want to encourage you with this. If you're new here, if you haven't been around long, or maybe you have been and just not got connected, and I know people always say, that oh, I have a... it's so hard to get connected to church. Listen, I'm telling you from my own experience, this is a community of people who care about you And if you feel like in all that, that something is shaking loose, I know we always have folks at the cross to pray, pastoral staff, random people around you. Just know, if you need somebody to talk to, we are here. We're still here. Pastor Brent's not here this morning, but Life Connection Counseling, (laughs) they're still here. That kind of threw off the metaphor a little bit. But really, like, just don't, you don't need to face stuff alone. If you need to talk to somebody... We're still here. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., or 11.30 a.m. If you would like more information about who we are and what we're about, or to partner financially with what God is doing through Sanctuary, you can go to our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com. You can also download our mobile app from the App Store and Google Play. We hope you'll join us next week. Grace and peace.